Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Good, good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, my name is Seth. I'm, I'm a Bible study leader here. Um, Praise the Lord. Uh, so if you want to hear our pastor, uh, Brandon, he'll be here next week, uh, but I'm filling in today. And so first things first, um, man, God is holy. And uh, if you guys don't know, Jake's mom got saved yesterday. Um, and I've just been thinking, uh, there's a couple verses in Jeremiah, but one of them says, there's nothing too hard for the Lord, and uh, I'm just blown away and encouraged. So, um, like I said, my name's Seth. I'm married to JJ. Um, she's, she's the greatest woman who's ever lived, and those are the facts, and I'm not sorry about it. Um, so, with that, today we're going to be in the book of Ezra. So if you want to flip to Ezra chapter 8, verse 31, uh, and so it's, it's really funny, I was, I was preaching this message to JJ last night, uh, we just were driving home from my parents' house, and so today we were sitting in Sam's sermon, and there, there were like points where it was almost word for word, like points in my message, and so I'm just, yeah, the Holy Spirit's awesome. And so, Ezra 8, 31, uh, I'm just going to give some background on the book of Ezra. So, the book of Ezra happens because Israel was taken into captivity into Babylon for not keeping the Sabbaths, which they had promised God that they would do, right? They made a covenant with God that they were going to keep the law and they were going to keep the Sabbaths, right, resting on the seventh day and every seventh year, and they, they didn't do it. And so God's promise in that covenant was if you don't do that, you're going to get taken into captivity. And so they get taken into captivity. But Jeremiah has a prophecy that, that King Cyrus of Persia would help the Jews get back to Jerusalem and rebuild. And so that, that happens. King Cyrus... His spirit's stirred up, and he uh, helps this remnant return to Jerusalem. By the way, I just plagiarized Brandon in his sermon slides. We went through a series on how to be a righteous remnant. And this is, there's kind of an example here of how not to be a righteous remnant, as well as how to be a righteous remnant. And so, we see this remnant return, and they, they come back with, all the silver and the gold and the, the vessels, the, the artifacts of temple worship that were from the old temple that was destroyed. And so they start building the altar and offering sacrifices to God. And then uh, they begin rebuilding the temple, but there's attack, right? And, and so it's like a Rocky movie. Um, they get knocked down and, and God's speaking through the prophets Haggai and Zechariah in the corner, like, like Mickey. He's like, get up! 
And, uh, and so they start rebuilding the temple again. And uh, then they finish the temple. And this is when Ezra heads back to Jerusalem. So Ezra, for background, uh, Ezra 7 verse 10, says, describes who he, who he was. So it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So he was, he was a scribe tasked with teaching the law in Jerusalem now that it had been rebuilt. In verse 25 of Ezra 7, this is King Cyrus commissioning Ezra, and he says, And thou, Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God that is in thine hand, set magistrates and judges, which may judge all the people that are beyond the river, all such as know the laws of thy God, and teach ye them that know them not. And this is just a side note. For, for what it's worth, the calculation I did, the, the value of all the gold and silver and vessels that Ezra brought back is $27.5 million. This is what Ezra brought back to Jerusalem. But he shows up, right? And uh, there's a journey. But this is, this is what brings us to, to Ezra 8.31. It says... Oh, I should turn there. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go unto Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and of such as lay in wait by the way. And we came to Jerusalem and abode there three days. Now on the fourth day was the silver and the gold and the vessels weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. And with them was Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Binuai, Levites. By number and by weight of every one, and all the weight was written at that time. Also the children of those that had been carried away, which were come out of the captivity, offered burnt offerings, Unto the God of Israel, twelve bullocks for all Israel, ninety and six rams, seventy and seven lambs, twelve he goats for a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering unto the Lord. And they delivered the king's commissions unto the king's lieutenants, and to the governors on this side the river, and they furthered the people and the house of God. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need your word to, to take root in our hearts. And Lord, uh, you know that in my flesh I'm, I'm weak. Lord, and, and even then, if I, if I could just, you know, preach my guts out. Uh, God, if your Holy Spirit isn't the one moving across the pages and bearing witness with our hearts um, what your word is saying, then... Lord, we're just wasting our time. And so, God, would you please prepare hearts, Lord... Get me out of the way and just, um, Lord, bring revival. Make us a righteous remnant in, this, in these last days, God. We love you when we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so first off, I, preaching in a semicircle feels very Book of Acts. Like, I feel like men and brethren. Um, it's, 
it's weird, but um, I'm going to have to like remind myself to turn. Okay, so let's focus on what's going on in the house of God and all the things Ezra brought. Okay, so I want you to notice there's, there's silver and gold, right, in, in verse 33. There's vessels, um, and just to know, everything was weighed, right? Verse 34 of Ezra 8 says, By number and by weight of every one, and all the weight was written at that time. Awesome. Okay, but then verse 35, it, it just keeps being awesome, right? People are coming out of captivity, and people are, are making sacrifice to God in worship, right? And it, it just says, right, they furthered the people in the house of God. Praise God. And what more could you ask for? Okay, but, okay, what's the sermon? Well, let's read chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Now, when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. Okay, so what's the picture? Let's go, let's go back to, to Ezra 8, that passage we read. So what's the house of God? So while each believer is, is a temple of the living God, uh, Paul writes something interesting to Timothy. He says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So we have our own house of God. And so now we can see how we, we can inject ourselves into this passage, right, carefully. We don't want to take promises that aren't ours. But we can see ourselves. And so what, what can we glean from this passage devotionally? Okay, well, what do the silver and gold represent? It's, it's the word of God, right? We see that in Psalms 12 and, and 19. We have, you know, exceeding great and precious promises in the word of God. There's also vessels, right? These are uh, believers or, or disciples, Right, First Thessalonians 4.4 4 says, uh, Every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That's our body. right? And so, just as uh, all of this was weighed you know, physically, okay, we, we find ourselves in the church and, and everything has its place. right? Everything's measured. The, the word of God is being preached and, and there's, there's believers. right? We're here. And even better than that, People are coming out of captivity, right? Souls are being saved. People are worshiping God. Praise God, right? The, the Father's seeking worshipers, right? God wants to see people brought out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of, of light, right? The kingdom of his dear son. What, the, 
the people in the house of God are being furthered. Praise God. Like, what more could we ask for? Okay, so what, now what do we do with this stuff in chapter 9? What is, what is all that picture for us? So just like the people of Israel had an unlawful marriage with the nations around them, the church has an unlawful marriage with the world. And for a, a working definition, we're going to call marrying the world, replacing God or one of his functions in your life with a worldly counterfeit. Marrying the world is also loving something or someone more than God. Okay, now, this was prophesied to happen. 2 Timothy 3, 4, Paul's telling Timothy what's going to happen in the last days. And he says, men are going to be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Um, If you've been coming for a while, you might know that uh, Re- Revelation 2 and 3 are, are prophetic of church history. And so in Revelation 3, we see the, the Laodicean church, and it pictures for us uh, the, the last days, right, before the rapture happens. And it says in verse 17 of Revelation 3, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The church today has traded biblical exposition for motivational speeches. We've traded biblical exhortation for secular counseling. We've traded the Bible for books about the Bible. We've traded the leading of the Holy Spirit for pragmatism. We've traded true love, joy, peace, satisfaction, and rest for entertainment and social media. So what's, what's so bad? What's so bad about this? Well, we're commanded not to. <laughs> 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world. All right, we can get on board with that. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We can't love God and the world at the same time. We're going through Mark. If if you guys have been through Mark 4, uh, we see this account in in three Gospels. But Jesus says that, that it chokes out the word of God in our lives. Luke 8, 14 says... And that, right, the the seed in this parable, which fell among thorns, are they, which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. And perhaps the most heinous of, of reasons this is wrong is it's breaking the first and greatest commandment. Mark 12.30 says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And I think it's worth noting, the leaders were chief in this trespass. And leaders, the people we're leading, see our love for the world. They're watching. 
Somebody gets saved and, and they have all the joy in the world because they just found it in the person of Jesus Christ and they start walking and they go, man, my, my leader, they're, they're finding their joy in what they do on the weekends. They're finding their joy in, in whatever it is that they do in life. And, and so then they, they backslide. I'm preaching to myself, by the way. So what do we do? What do we do when we know that we have this unlawful marriage with the world? Well, we need to ask ourselves, who is Ezra? Who's Ezra in this picture? So Ezra's name means help. And he came to Israel to teach them the word of God. And he was working in Israel both to will and to do of God's good pleasure. So we can see Ezra pictures for us the Holy Spirit. So, so what do we do with that? So what, what's, what's the Holy Spirit's reaction to hearing that the, the church loves the world? Ezra 9, verses 3 and 4, it says... And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astonied. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonied until the evening sacrifice. And so, man, the people of God and the house of God are being furthered, and, but the Holy Spirit gets wind that they, they love the world. And the Holy Spirit, I don't, I don't believe the Holy Spirit has hair, but rips out his hair and rips out his beard and just falls down and just sits there. He's grieved. The Holy Spirit is grieved with our affection for the world. So what do we do? Key point one, come to God trembling at his words. Come to God trembling at his words. Philippians 2.12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This happens when, when people first get saved. right? They heard that there were, there's a holy and a righteous God that they've sinned against. And if they, don't, if they don't get it right, they're going to hell for eternity. right? And it causes us to tremble. right? The thought of being separated from God, being in a lake of fire for all eternity... Like, what do you do but tremble? When I, when I got discipled, uh, you know, I, I learned for the first time that, that God had preserved his word for me in English, right? And I knew that I had the very words of God in my hand. And every time I opened this Bible, I got goosebumps, right? Because... 
I, I just knew that it was, it was the very words of God. We shouldn't ever leave that place. So we need to tremble at the words of God and come to the Holy Spirit. Right? But, but we, need to, we need to listen to what he's saying. And so what, what's the Holy Spirit saying? What's Ezra saying in this passage? Ezra 9, verses 5 through 15. This is the prayer that, that Ezra prays for Israel, and I think it's a, a picture for us of, of what the Holy Spirit is, is saying in, in our day and age. And at the evening sacrifice, I arose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God and said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespasses grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day. And for our iniquities have we our kings and our priests been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face as it is this day. And now, for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the, sights, in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments, which thou hast commanded by the servants, the prophets, saying, The land unto which ye go to possess it, is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands with their abominations, which have filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness. Now therefore give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that thou, our God, hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve and hast given us such deliverance as this, should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Wouldst not thou be angry with us till thou hadst consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor escaping? O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped. As it is this day, behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. So what's he saying? Well, first he's, he's confessing their sin for them. We see this in verses uh, 6 through 7, as well as 10 through 15. And in that same way, the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf for sins we don't even know we're committing. Romans 6, uh, 26 through 27, right? We, we see the Holy Spirit's interceding on our behalf. And so maybe you came today and you didn't even know the love of the world was a sin. 
Well, the Holy Spirit was already confessing that on your behalf, right? He was interceding for you. So he confesses their sin for them, but I want you to see, so the confession is verses 6 and 7 and and 10 through 15, but at the heart of that intercession, he points to grace. So key point two, no grace, right? We need to tremble at the words of God and and come to him, but we need to know grace inside and out. You know how I need I uh, I know that that we need to know grace. Every single letter written to the church, Romans through Philemon, begins and ends with grace. And uh, and so if you're taking notes, this isn't this isn't on here. I just I just want you to to be still. I'll let you, I'll let you finish writing, but I, I want you to just hear this. I'm just gonna read all of these verses. The book of Romans 1.7, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 16.24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1.3, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. 16.23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 2 Corinthians 1.2, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. 1314, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Galatians 1.3, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. 618, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Ephesians 1.2, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. 624, grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Philippians 1, 2, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. 423, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Colossians 1, 2, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 418, grace be with you. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 1.1, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 5.28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. 2 Thessalonians 1.2, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 3.18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 1 Timothy 1.2, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. 6.21, grace be with thee. Amen. 2 Timothy 1, 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 4, 22, the Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit, grace be with you, amen. Titus 1, 4, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. 3, 15, grace be with you all, amen. Philemon 1, 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 25, the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And those are the verses we skip over. We want to get to the good stuff, right? We are nothing if we don't know grace. We will never accomplish anything of value for God's kingdom if it's not by grace. 
We've got to know it. We have to know grace. So if you look back in Ezra 9, 8, we see the purpose of grace. And now for a little space, grace, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape. God's purpose in, in bestowing grace on us is that there would be a remnant of worshipers that would see God for who he is in all his glory and give him all the praise and honor due his name. He's, he's seeking that. He's seeking worshipers. We also see its source to give us a nail in his holy place. Colossians 2.13 says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So anything that was in the way of you serving God, he did away with it. When God the Father poured out his grace on us, when he allowed three nails to be put in his Holy Son to save our everlasting souls. God gave us a nail in his holy place. And that's the source of our grace, right? We have to go back to the cross on a daily basis and remember, right, like if God, Romans says, if, if God gave us his son, how shall he not freely give us all things? We need to know that the blood of Christ covered every sin we've ever committed, every sin we ever will commit, and if the grace of the cross is good enough for salvation, it must be good enough for our sanctification. It's got to be. What else is there? You going to work? <laughs> so we see the purpose of grace. We see the source of grace. But we also see the means of grace. How, how does it actually work in and through us? Well, it's to lighten our eyes. It's to give us a reviving in our bondage. We see, we see this in Ephesians 1, right? Paul, Paul tells us we, we ought to have the eyes of our understanding enlightened, right? That, that we can know the riches that we have in Christ. But it goes beyond that, right? We ought to see his power. We ought to see revival in our lives. Because that same power that that God wrought in Christ when he rose him from the dead, that same power lives in you, believer. We need to be obsessed with grace. I mean, have you met somebody that's obsessed with grace? It's, it's the most refreshing thing. Right, I remember uh, Larry and I were talking about this the other day. Where's Larry at? What's up, Larry? <laughs> so when Larry first got saved, he just wanted to meet up on campus, right, and just, like, hang out, like, read the Bible. And so we meet up, and we, we walked through the Bible for three hours straight because Larry so wanted to know his Heavenly Father. Why do we leave that place? Like, if we know that all the, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid in Jesus Christ... 
Why are we looking anywhere else? See, grace is like a river. I, we, uh, you know, we, we come to it and we, we get a glass of water when, when we're depressed. Or, uh, or maybe like we get a bucket for, man, I'm going through a real hard season. And, and all the while, God's just like, jump in. Just jump in and, and let my grace take you where you need to go. It'll wash you. You'll be, you'll be filled. Like, you know, we, we think we need grace for, for when we struggle, right? I need grace to wake up. I need grace to eat my breakfast. I need grace to go to work. There's nothing I, c- I can do without grace that's worth anything. We've got to be obsessed with it. Okay, so... The Holy Spirit inter- intercedes for us. He points us to grace, but he also he, he tells us our testimony. So if you read verse 9, it says, For we were bondmen. Not anymore. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And do, you, do you just like sit down and just listen and let the Holy Spirit remind you where you came from? what all he's brought you through. Galatians 5.1, right? Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. See, we were bondmen. We don't have to be bondmen anymore. We don't have to live the way we used to. We don't have to be tied to the things of this world like, I don't know, all of the world is screaming that we need to do. And so how do we respond? Now that we've, we've trembled at the words of God and we've, we've come to him and we've just, we've just heard, we've just sat still and, and listened, how do we respond? Well, if we pick it, pick it back up in Ezra 10, verses 1 through 19. Now when Ezra had prayed... And when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God, and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. So we see this guy, Shechaniah, whose name means abides. Interesting. He confesses and invites Ezra to divorce them from all their wives. You know, so many of us, we, we want God to distract us from the world, right? When, when we've, we've had our, our fair share of the world and we finally, it catches up and we get depressed, we get anxious, and then we come to the word of God and we, we read the psalm that distracts us, and then, man, when that works, we're back at it. Okay, God doesn't want to distract you from the world. He wants to divorce you from it. 
Romans 12.2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Colossians 3.2 says, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So key point three, let the Holy Spirit divorce you from this world. Let the Holy Spirit divorce you from this world. Shechaniah says, right, arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. I can't, I can't just leave the world, right? I can't do that in my own power. But if I seek things above and not, on thing, not things on the earth, right, and I, and I choose to just set my affection there, it's going to happen. Right? And we, we allow the Holy Spirit to, to work in us, to, to will and do of his good pleasure, where we start desiring the things of God more than the phony things of this world. He'll do it. But we've got to come together to do that. How are the lost going to see a peculiar people if we look just like they do? See, the New Testament says that, that we, can, we can know a love that passes knowledge. We can know a peace that passes understanding, and we can know a joy that's unspeakable. Man, like, is, is that actually being made reality in my life? Ezra showed up with $27.5 million. The Holy Spirit's got all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, we're not interested in that. We've got our wives, right? We've, we've got the things of this world that, that we love. And so, Ezra gets to work. But how that starts is Ezra makes them swear. Right, it's, it's cool to have an emotional response, response but, but the Holy Spirit, right, we, we all come together and, and we're like, all right, God, you've got it all, right? All to him I owe. <laughs> Jesus paid it all, right? And we, and we come and we say, God, I, I give you my life. And the Holy Spirit says, swear to it. Swear. Make a covenant. You made a covenant when you got saved. Is it that much more scary to really give God your whole life? And what I want us to notice is, is there's a time frame, right? I'm, I'm going to finish reading the, ch the chapter here. So then arose Ezra and made the chief priests and Levites and all Israel to swear that they should do according to this word, and they swear. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Eliashib. And when he came thither, he did eat no bread nor drink water, for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. And they made proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem unto all the children of the captivity, 
that they should gather themselves together unto Jerusalem, and that whosoever would not come within three days, according to the counsel of the princes and the elders, all his substance should be forfeited, and himself separated from the congregation of those that had been carried away. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered themselves together unto Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the street of the house of God, trembling because of this great matter and for the great rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said unto them, Ye have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now therefore make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers, and do his pleasure, and separate yourselves from the people of the land, and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. But the people are many, and it is a time of much rain, and we are not able to stand without. Neither is this a work of one day or two, for we are many that have transgressed in this thing. Let now our rulers of all the congregations stand, and let all of them which have taken strange wives in our cities come at appointed times, and with them the elders of every city, and the judges thereof, until the fierce wrath of our God for this matter be turned from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Asahel, and Jehaziah, the son of Tikva, were employed about this matter, and Meshullam and Shabbatai, the Levite, helped them, and the children of the captivity did so. And Ezra the priest with certain chief of the fathers after the house of their fathers and all of them by their names were separated and sat down in the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. And they made an end with all the men that had taken strange wives by the first day of the first month. And among the sons of the priests there were found that had taken strange wives, namely the son of Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, Maaseah, and Eleazar, and Jerib, and Gedaliah. And they gave their hands that they would put away their wives, and being guilty, they offered a ram of the flock for their trespass. And so we see there is a time frame, right, in verse 8. There's a time frame in which we have to respond to when we know that the Holy Spirit's grieved at our love for the world. Right now, there's always grace. I want to emphasize that. But Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of your sin. And there might just come a time when, when God just gives us over to the love that we have for this world. There's also another time frame, right? The Sam said this, the judgment seat of Christ, it's today. <laughs> if it's not today, it's tomorrow, right? And says in, in verse 8, if they didn't come in three days, all his substance should be forfeited. I don't want to sit naked and weeping outside of the mansion that God had for me. All right, there's also a great rain. We see that. This is a picture of, of God's favor. Proverbs 16:15. It's beautiful. In the light of the king's countenance is life, and his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. Right? When when we come and we just say, 
Lord, divorce us from the world. We don't want it. We want you. He just pours out his grace, right? He said, yeah, come on, come, please. We see there's a process of time in verse 13, right? This isn't a, this isn't a work of, of one day or two. Sanctification is a lifelong process. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says that our, our inward man is renewed day by day. Right? I wake up. God, what can you divorce me from today? What, what can I be separated from so I look more like Jesus Christ? It's a process of time. But there are also appointed times in verse 14. Right? People come at appointed times and that's altar calls, guys, right? Whenever there's an altar call, there ought to be responses, <laughs> right? If, if the book is open, God's speaking and conviction ought to take place. What can God divorce you from, right? Your discipleship lesson, right? Like, talk to your discipler, you know, get input from them on the things you may need help discerning, like what's conviction and what's guilt, Right? Cage Cordell and I talked about that yesterday. This is one of the hardest things of the Christian walk. It's figuring out the difference between conviction and guilt. Okay, there's appointed times, but there's also appointed people. Right? We see this in verse 15. There are people specifically employed for this matter. And guys, your Bible study leaders and your disciple, your disciples are specifically appointed by God through the Holy Spirit, in the structure of the local church, to counsel you. You don't need to text around them and text pastors, right? Like, do they have the Holy Spirit or not? <laughs> Does your Bible study leader have the same Holy Spirit that Brandon has? Right? I don't want you to be afraid to talk to Brandon, but talk to your Bible study leader. <laughs> it's also a case-by-case basis. Right? We're not all getting divorced at the same time in the same way. Right? And, and I just, this, this is a theory I have, so take that for what it's worth. But I think American legalism looks the way it does, right? The, the fact that, oh, well, you can't watch movies, you can't play cards, you can't dance, right? Like, we think of those things as legalism because there was a generation before them that gave those things up out of a love for God. And that generation came up after them and thought, well, if I just give those things up, I'll be holy. That's not what God's calling us to. So maybe something's a conviction for somebody because they loved it more than God at some point in time. Don't you dare put that on someone else. See, telling somebody that entertainment is sin is equally as wicked as loving entertainment more than God. Right? Don't put your convictions on other people. This is a case-by-case -case basis. What has God called you to separate from? So what does it look like to let the Holy Spirit divorce us from the world? Verse 19 says, And they gave their hands that they would put away their wives. And being guilty, they offered a ram of the flock for their trespass. They just gave their hands, right? Said, I'm guilty, right? They confessed 
with, with the Holy Spirit. They, they confessed with Ezra. He said, I'm guilty. And they, they offered a ram, right? This picture of, of the cross again, right? Going back to the cross, saying, I'm guilty. And it's like, you know, it's like we, we put our, our hands out to be handcuffed, and God just picks us up, right? And just gives us a hug. Says, I've got grace. Right? Remember the cross? There's grace. Giving your hands is, is a picture of giving your heart. Uriah wrote a song about this, right? Lamentations 341. When, we, when we're in worship and we're lifting our hands, it's not just something we do, right? It's saying, God, you have my heart. But it's really interesting that uh, that that phrase, give your hands, is also translated as submitting in 1 Chronicles 29-24. And it's also translated as yielding in 2 Chronicles 30, verse 8 and 9. And I want to read that because it's it's just so beautiful. It says, now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were. But yield yourselves unto the Lord, and enter into his sanctuary, which he hath sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. And praise God, we're in a, we're in a different dispensation, right? God's not taking us to Babylon. For if ye turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and will not turn away his face from you, if ye return unto him. So what is, what is uh, letting the Holy Spirit divorce us from the world look like? It looks like verse 12 of Ezra 10. Then all the congregation answered, and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. So key point four, yield to the Holy Spirit. Just yield. Right? Like how much easier would life be if we just let the Holy Spirit do it through us? Right? We need to pray. <laughs> we need to be a people of prayer, inviting the Holy Spirit to to divorce us from the world, but also do what he promised and work in us both to will and to do of God's good pleasure. We give our hands because obedience is how we love God. You see that all throughout John, all throughout 1 John, right? To love God is to obey him. And it's not obedience for sake of obedience, right? It's, it's obeying with a happy heart, right? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Right? Like a grateful heart just saying, man, God, you, you did all the work. Just do, do the work in me. Yeah. Work through me. Holy Spirit, like I surrender. <laughs> so if, if the worship team could come up, maybe you're here and, and you don't know God at all. Okay, you... I want you to know you have you've sinned against an infinitely holy God. 
and you need an infinitely good payment to pay him back. All right, you, now you can do that on your own. You can spend an eternity in, in a lake of fire paying off the sin debt you owe God. Or you can take the infinitely good sacrifice that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made for you. Right? God's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right? And so it's, it's a blank check. Right? You just, Jesus freely offers salvation. You just... You turn from the idols you have in life, you turn from that sin, and you turn to serve God, and, and you just take that check, and you cash it, and you say, God, I believe you. I believe you paid for my sins. There's no way I could ever earn my salvation. But God, since you did the work, I just want to give you my life. Call on him as Lord and Savior. We're going to have counselors down here to help, help you walk through that. And maybe you're here, and, and you realize that you've married the world and that you love its pleasures more than you love God. Right? Even if, even if you're a leader, it's time to confess. Right? This is me. I love me some world. Right? Like, it's a, it's a great place, not in comparison to God. And we ought to provoke each other to love God more than the pleasures of this world. So maybe you need to give some things up until you know between you and God that you love him more. Right? Some form of of a Nazarite vow, right? I don't, I don't think like raisins and stuff are the, are the thing we have today, right? No one's like, need raisins, <laughs> right? But man, the pleasures of this life, just give them up for a season and choose God over those things, not out of legalism, but because you can, you can just have more space, more time to just pursue God in his word and in prayer. Maybe not forever, right? Like the Nazarites, they just ended the, that for a season, right? Like, but maybe you need to give some things up for good. So I'm just asking, what if, what if we as a ministry and as a church, we came before the Holy Spirit as one man and said, divorce us from the world? And we gave our hands, and in doing that, we're giving him our hearts, and we just said, as thou hast said, so must we do. And God, we just come to you and, uh, Lord, we're, we're so desperate for you. Lord, we live in a world that is more distracting than it's ever been. God, we have, we have comfort at the touch of our, our phones. God, we, we seek so many things other than you. And Lord, all you call us to do is just seek you. And so, God, I pray that... Um, Lord, you would be working in our hearts and minds as a ministry, even right now, to just confess with you that, man, we love the world and it's wicked. Um, Lord, like, you know, we confess we, we do love pleasures more than you, but we don't want to. <laughs> and God, that's why I'm so thankful for the fact that your Holy Spirit doesn't just, you know, do your good pleasure in us, but he... He wills it. He desires it. And so, God, I pray that we would just yield to your Holy Spirit and, and that he would work out those desires in us, Lord, that we would just love you and, and serve you more. Lord, that you would call us to a greater degree of holiness, not out of guilt, God, but out of a genuine love and passion for you. Lord, we do love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.